Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 208. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Do you want new promotions and free, low-cost marketing strategies to attract new customers? Go to restaurantpromo.net today and become unbeatable in your market. Again, that's restaurantpromo.net. Get on it. Here at Restaurant Unstoppable, we're always learning about how to get time back in your life with systematizing and automating your business. QSR Online can help you do that. Go to go.qsronline.com slash unstoppable to learn more. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Eric Castro. Tell me you're feeling unstoppable today, Eric. Oh, every day, brother, every day. Yes, so Eric Castro initially built his cocktail empire at San Francisco's Rickhouse in Bourbon Branch by searching for obscure obscure recipes, uh, methods, and ingredients that originated prior to the prohibition. His beverage programs have been placed on some of the nation's most coveted lists, including Esquire's Best Bar in America, Food and Wine's World's Top Bars, and countless nominations at the prestigious Tales of the Cocktail Spirited Awards in New Orleans, and was recognized by Star Chef's organization as Rising Star Mixologist in 2010. Uh, in 2013, Castro partnered with the Southern California's Hospitality Collective, CH Projects, to launch Polite Provisions, which quickly received accolades such as Imbibe Magazine's Cocktail Bar of the Year 2014 and Food and Wine Magazine's Best New Bar. In 2014, he teamed up with the team behind Cocktail Kingdom to create Boilermaker in New York City, where he quickly earned a reputation. And uh, in 2014, Castro uh, co-created Follow the Leader, uh, an irreverent series of cocktail tutorials. Man, this is quite the, the track record you have. Almost done. Uh, 2008 founded uh, Possessed by Spirits, which is, seems to be a cocktail beverage consulting blog where you talk about leadership, hiring, uh, share recipes. You got a lot going on, man. I'm really excited for this interview. <laughs> right <on. laughs> so uh, I just gave the listeners like, like an aerial view of everything you got going, but like, why don't you get that inspirational motivational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us today? Uh, one of the things I always tell my staff and I try to drill in their heads is that I, I believe the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So I tell them that you can't become a better bartender without becoming a better person. And you can't become a better person without becoming a better bartender. Oh man. I love it. I love it. And I mean, I started this podcast really just not knowing what it took to be successful in this industry. And the more I started to uncover things, the more I learned, really, success in this industry starts with success of mastering yourself and just being an awesome person. This is a people mm-hmm. industry, whether it being good to your guests or good to your employees. It all starts with you being an awesome person. And I, yep. I love that's how you started this interview off with just saying that. So um, let's talk about you a little bit more. I mean, how did you get into the industry and, like, Give us some snapshots, some real quick snapshots of how you got to where you are today. Uh, really, I mean, I started uh, washing dishes for the first time when I was about 14, um, going through it when I was a freshman in high school. And I just really liked it. I really liked the atmosphere. I really just like how fast-paced 
of a lifestyle and how much quicker your nights go when you work in restaurants. Yeah. So from there on, you know, I started bussing. Eventually started waiting tables. Um, worked a little bit in the kitchen in, is there, in there as well. And then from there, man, I just, you know, it was only uh, due time. I eventually started bar back and then hopped my way behind the bar. Yeah, like let's put a timeline to this. Like, what, how long did it take you to to get behind the bar? Oh, it took a it took a while, and those also appeared when I kind of left the um, left the restaurant industry as well. When I was you know um, about I think a junior or senior in high school, then I came back as soon as I started college, and by then you know I was just like I was just ready to work, man. I was I was hosting, busting, barbacking, doing whatever I could, and quickly became a server, became a manager, you know, floor manager, and then I started. Uh, Got my way behind the bar, man. Fell in love with it. So and let me I, ask, like, what, what did you go to school for? Uh, I got my degree in um, in advertising and political science. Awesome. So, what made you stick with the hospitality industry? You know, I, I honestly, I, I, I if I had like maybe graduated from high school, you know, or maybe been born two years sooner, ten years sooner, yeah, there's a good chance I might not not even stayed with bartending, um, because I just really, you know, I guess. Earlier, I think I don't know if that was enough to keep people challenged. You mm. know, I hate to say that in a negative way, but um, but I was at that stage where I graduated and I'd already been bartending for about maybe six years, seven years, and I was loving it. But I was thinking about leaving, you know. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I heard about you know craft cocktails and all that stuff taking off. And you know, I guess this was maybe two thousand six, two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So I started for the first time. I started making cocktails with fresh juice, and, and was like, oh my god, this is a revelation, and, and it changed everything. I was I was this really cocky kid who was used to working in busy bars and restaurants, and all of a sudden I had this entire new world open to me and like something that I knew nothing about. I was completely clueless. I didn't know what a, how to make a proper sidecar. I didn't know how to make a proper old fashioned. I was just making you know, I was making Cosmos and lemon drops and cranking them out. Well, wow. I thought I was like I was the hot shit, you know. And this is two thousand seven. Yeah, maybe about two thousand seven. Then yeah, two thousand seven. I actually got a job. At like a, a cocktail bar that was modeled kind of after Trace Agave's in San Francisco, um, Julio Bermejo kind of helped with the program. So we were making Tommy's margaritas, um, you know, fresh fruit, fresh produce, fresh berries, and that's really what that's what really changed it for me. I was like, wow, like I'm so new to this. I realized that that's actually one reason I, I always try to stay humble in this because I feel like you have to stay hungry. And I didn't realize how little I knew about actually making a proper cocktail. You know, I, I in all honesty, I knew how to ten bar, and I was pretty quick, and I was like efficient in the well. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't making you know drinks that were like that were you know proper or using um, proper ingredients. So I'm looking at your website, uh, Possessed by Spirits. It says established 2008. What happened between 2007 to 2008 where you started this? This I don't know. Was it a journey? Like when, when did you really start? Yeah, man. Like what what went on to make you you know start this kind of blog where you're a cocktail and beverage consulting company? Yeah, really. What happened was you know again. I mean, right before I started working at that that tequila bar, I was working at a bowling alley. So you know, I was making bank, just cranking out drinks. You know, um, Jaeger, Red Bulls, and pouring pitchers of beer mm. at this bowling alley. And then when I started working at the tequila bar, that's when I was like, wait, like, I don't know anything about making proper drinks. So then I started getting really, um, you know, classic cocktail books. I got Dale DeGroff's book, um, bought the the Absent book by Jeff Hollinger and Rob Schwartz. And these books, like, were s- seminal to me. Like, they changed my life. And that's really when I started getting, you know, I fell in love with actually the craft cocktail. So did you actually start writing and producing content at, like, 2018 on this, this website or, like? Yeah, it was 2008. Um, oh, sorry, eight, well, yeah. The website wasn't as fancy in 2008 as <laughs> now. Um, but yeah, really, I mean, I was just, I, that's, 
you know, I think one of the ways that uh, um, one of the things that allowed me to kind of just go full speed into craft cocktails is that I had already been bartending for for several years at yeah. that stage. So I liked it. I mean, I already knew how to tend bar, how to you know how to work efficiently, how to work quickly, how to tend to guests. Yeah. So really, at that stage, you know, I mean, I always tell my guys that making cocktails is only five percent of the job. Mm. You know, ninety five percent is making sure guests are happy and oh, yeah, running, man. you know clean efficient bar. So really, once I learned those drinks, I kind of they all kind of came as second nature to me as well because I'd already been making drinks for so long. And even though I feel like you know, you know I, whatever we like to refer to them as the dark days of bartending when we were just using you know, you know, crappy liqueurs and sour mix, um, even though a lot of those drinks don't necessarily translate for today's palate, um, the flavor profiles of a lot of those drinks were good and they were very thoughtful, even though the ingredients might not have been. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, I feel like like the jump, the leap isn't quite as far as everybody likes to think it is. And in retrospect, we like to create it to be. Mm, awesome. Let me ask you, Eric, what is your purpose? What is your why? Why do you do what you do? What drives you? Really, I just want this country to drink better. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think everyone, I think everyone deserves to have a proper well-made cocktail and, mm. and to, to drink something proper. Uh, I mean, when I, when I look back at like what's happened with the craft beer world, and with the craft uh, coffee world, I mean, um, I was on a road trip recently for this documentary I'm filming. And, and you know, I remember stopping to just some, like, random little truck stop, you know, um, in the middle of Arizona, far from any metropolis, you know, metropolis. And and seeing that they had, like, you know, single origin coffee there. And you're mm. like, what? this is like a random truck stop. And they have – and then, of course, I tried it. It was really good. You know, I mean, don't get it wrong. It wasn't, like, four barrel or blue bottle or anything, but it was great coffee. Better than you would have ever gotten – it was better than you would have gotten at a nice restaurant 10 years ago. Mm. And I'm getting it at the truck stop, you know, you know, 200 miles outside of Phoenix. Yeah. And I just feel like it's important for people to be able to, um, you know, have a well-made cocktail because, you know, since the craft cocktail is of American origin, it, it, you know, when you drink an old fashioned, you're kind of really drinking a little bit of America. Mm. That's true. I never even thought of it that way. And I, and one of the things one of, that I'm really proud of with this podcast is I have people on the show like you, people who are in this industry because they respect food, what it is, the culture behind food, and they're not in it for the monetary benefits that, that can't be there if you do things right. But they, they got to that point where they're successful because of the respect they have for food and because of the passion they share for food and educating other people about what food can be and how you can touch other people, their souls with food. And I really hear that with you and I'm really excited for this interview. So, um, is there anything else you want to talk about with your purpose, your why before we move on? Shoot. No, man, really. That's about it. That's all I can think about. (laughs) Awesome. I just starting to write down some things here, but just some of the things that are standing out to me. And I think it's amazing that like, you know, all of a sudden you just started to take it upon yourself to really push the envelope, to be a student. And that's what I, the, the word I wrote down was student and circled it a bunch of times. And I don't think uh, enough of us really take the, the crap seriously to, to really push the envelope and to learn as much as we can. Um, and then to share what oh, we're learning with other people, man. You have to, because I feel like what happens is um, you always need to stay hungry, man. And, and oh, yeah. I feel like I've been in the industry long enough. You've been in the industry long enough. That I've I've seen people kind of come in with a big splash and they get big heads and big egos and then they then five years later nobody remembers who they were mm. um, and I think what happens is like these people they lose the hunger and, and they kind of they get big headed and they think they're they know everything there is to know and the one thing I've learned about you know working in beverages working in restaurants hospitality like the more you learn the more you realize there is that, that you don't know mm. 
Yeah, so so true, man. And I think, yeah, for sure. I mean, you said it perfectly. I don't need to add anything to that. Uh, it's it's spot on. I think we're kind of getting into the point now of the interview where I kind of start to try to extract um, these if factors, these purposes. Like, what is it about you? Habits, characteristics, things that you most you know think or the most contribute to your success in the industry. Um, really, it's just stay hungry, man. Stay hungry and read a lot and realize that you can learn from anyone. Like, I could go to the crappiest dive bar you've ever seen, and I guarantee you I can leave the place learning two or three things from, from the establishment and from the people behind the bar. Absolutely. Everyone is doing something that that, that is interesting. Absolutely. Even, even if you're learning what not to do, hmm. you're still going to learn something, so you just have to keep your eyes open. And what are some of the other it factors you have? I mean, I'm writing things down. I think you, you also, I mean, can I point one out? It's, it seems that you, you focus first and foremost on hospitality. Yeah. Talk to us about the significance of that and how that's helped you. I mean, really, I mean, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is creating regulars, man. So yeah. no, matter how, no, no matter how good your drinks are, no matter, you know, how cool your infusions and your house-made tinctures are, if people aren't coming back, then it's all for nothing. Mm, awesome stuff, man. Uh, so, so far for It Factors, I have that focus on hospitality. Uh, you're, you're hungry. You're always striving to learn. What else do you think contributes to your, towards your success in this industry? Um, you got to be self-critical. You have to be able to look at yourself in an in honest, dispassionate way and critique yourself as to what areas need improvement. Mm. Um, I mean, for, I mean, I was behind the bar Saturday night and we, you know, we broke like a sales record, right? Um, yeah. It was a really busy night and you need to be able to look at yourself during your shift while you're working and think of like, think of ways to just improve and be quicker. Not so to the point where you're actually distracted, but to where you're just more of it, it, you're, you're participating in conscious movement and you're, you're analyzing why you're doing what you're doing, what could be quicker, what could be more effective. And I mean, I've been bartending for 13 years and I'm still looking at it like this. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, I, I, I can only imagine being behind the bar 20 years, how much better I'm going to be then than I am now. Yeah. And listening to you talk, I'm so reminded of Jim Collins uh, and his advice in one of his more recent books called uh, great by choice. And he calls it productive paranoia. People who are successful in this industry, they're always looking for ways to be better. They're always afraid that there's something that they're missing that can come up and just get them. So they never settle for just good enough. They're always looking for a, to be a better version of themselves that, than they were the day before. And I, I'm totally hearing that with you. And I think it's just such an important characteristic and habit to have to be successful in this industry because it's so competitive. I mean, what do you have to say about that? Um, really, I, I, and honestly, I try not to be too worried about what the competition's doing. All right. Um, Granted, I am. I like. I do stay engaged, I, and I and I make sure I go to, go to their bars and, and you know, friend. Mostly they're my friends, so I go to to um, their bars to enjoy myself and have a drink. But at the same time, I try not to get too wrapped up in what they're doing. I rather just try to be better. Mm. You know that, that might sound like it kind of came out weird, but I'm trying to give <laughs> a better experience, and, and, and I'm not just competing with with friends like bars and other competitor competitors bars i just try to compete with every aspect and be better than every aspect so that when you put together the composite you end up with a bar that is head and shoulders better than anyone else awesome and just kind of doing my reading on you too i also noticed that um kind of like what you just said like you don't really try to be anything but yourself even when you're working on a restaurant uh you're building a menu you're really just using your restaurants to be an extension of who you are is that accurate to say yeah definitely definitely um, the, the place needs to exude hospitality. Mm-hmm. Needs to be warm. 
the music needs to be good. The lighting has to be good. The staff has to be friendly. Staff has to be helpful. And and the cocktails are going to be phenomenal. We already know that. You know, I mean, because I feel like, you know, where we're at in 2016, if you want to have a reputable, you know, craft cocktail bar, the drinks are going to be amazing. That's mm-hmm. just a given. Now it's can you nail every other factor that 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 forms the overall experience. Mm. Awesome stuff, man. So we're going to move on. And uh, I'm going to ask you now to share uh, a failure or a time you just fell hard on your ass with like something you did wrong. Uh, take us through that failure, what you learned for it, and how you're better today because of it. Oh, man, uh, I'll tell you what. When I used to work at that bowling alley, that was maybe about 2006, you know, it, it was the place was a beast. And I know people think bowling alley, they think of kind of like a, a seedy little place with smoking. Yeah. But, you know, but this is actually different. This was like very – it was like a family entertainment center. So it had like laser tag. It had private bowling lanes. It had 50 bowling lanes. It had a restaurant, a snack bar. Um, a full full arcade. It was just the place was just massive, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I don't know, like cost twenty million or something to put together. <laughs> and the, the place was uh, was a lot of fun, man. It was great money. The revenue that place was cranking out mm-hmm. was, was astronomical when you when, when you think about it. But the reason I was the GM there, and, and they fired me eventually. And I, I think in retrospect, and I'm really glad that ha- happened because it humbled me in a lot of ways, and it it made me. It gave me the ability to be able to step back and look at look at the progress I'm making because what ended up happening there, the situation was that the place was so chaotic and we didn't really have that good of systems in place. And I thought I thought I could just like force my will onto onto anything. And I was like, I'm gonna come in there and I'm just gonna like have a big abrasive attitude and tell people how it's gonna be. And, and that they're going to listen to me and they're going to think I'm a genius just because I'm so smart and because I'm, you know, 27 years old and I have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And guess what? I didn't have all the answers. And I, and I was trying to change the culture of the venue from the top down, which is not the way it happens. Um, you, the, the, the culture has to, be, has to be a fabric of the environment. It cannot just exude from one person. Mm. You know, everyone that that works there has to live and breathe it, and I didn't have the capability to do that. So and let me ask I you now: If you could go back and do it all over again, what would you do differently? How would you have put that culture in place, and how would you have you know treated your people? Like, how would you have implemented systems? Like you said, those weren't in place either. Like, what would you do if you could do it all over again? Seriously, I don't think I don't think where I was at and the the capacity that I was operating in. I would have even had the ability to do that. Um, I would have had to just hire. I would have had to fire everybody and just rehire like a, a proper staff. Um, I, hate, I hate that sounds so abrasive, but um, it, that, that, there was no infrastructure. There is what happened. Mm-hmm. So there was no infrastructure. We didn't have the capability to, to change anything. Um, Eric, can you give me an example of where there was lack of infrastructure? Like, get really specific. I mean, we our, our restaurant, the restaurant there. We didn't hire any servers or management with experience. Okay, we just we hired all the investors, high school kids. And so uh, these kids had no serving experience. What um, was their attitude like? And no one wanted to work, and they all just wanted to hang out. I think because their parents were <laughs> investors, so they did, they did like they knew you couldn't fire them. Yeah, or they knew you couldn't even really like you know discipline them. And it was true. I mean, they they could they could have done whatever they wanted. They could show up two hours early and, or two hours late. Nobody would care. 
Uh, man, I, I I totally hear what you're saying. Sometimes it gets really discouraging. If you're in a situation, you maybe get hired someplace, you're really excited about the work, and you get in there, and the culture is just crap. I mean, what advice do you have for somebody who's listening to this who might be in that situation that you're in? Get out. <laughs> get out. You're going to lose sleep. You're going to stress out. You're going to hate your life. You're going to, like, second-guess every decision you make. And really, you know, at the end of the day, like, the venue is bigger than you. You can't just... Unless you have the ability to actually change change the culture, um, it, it's just not going to happen. With if you have a, if you're if you have a place full of unmotivated employees, your motivation is not going to change that. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough, man. It's real tough that if you don't start right, if you don't start that culture in place, that clear vision of who you are, what you want to become, and getting the right people in place, and you know, eliminating, getting rid of those bad people as soon as they touch floor or touch foot on the floor in your restaurant. Like, it's really going to be hard to go back the other direction. Now, you said you got fired, too. I mean, what happened in that process? What, why uh, did they fire you? I'm curious. Uh, there were a lot of circumstances involved. But really, I mean, what it comes down to is, is it reminds me a lot. The situation is um, reminds me of Jim Collins, as he mentions in his book, Good, Good to Great. Yeah. One of his number one rules in there is just, like, don't waste try- time trying to motivate unmotivated people. Mm. You... You, in, in the course of your tenure there, will never undo, like, the errors that, that their parents made when they were raising them over 18 years. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Awesome stuff, man. So if you could take away one lesson, uh, one huge lesson from this experience, would it be to not try to motivate unmotivated people? Or is there another lesson that's, like, that's really the, sticks the, out? The, the, the biggest lesson, um, I guess I would take from that, is that a culture is comprehensive. It comes down from it, – it goes from the owners to the hosts to the door guy to the bartenders to everybody. It, it has to be has to be comprehensive. Everybody needs to be engaged and everybody needs to be on the same page. If the staff and ownership and management are all out of alignment, nothing good is going to happen from that. What's the best way to make that culture comprehensive as far as – you know, you said it's starting with the owners, but is there something – with one thing we can do – to, in our restaurants and make sure that culture is comprehensive treat people with respect like it, once everyone once everyone treats each other with consideration and respect then then the, the place is just that much better off like when when you treat your coworkers with respect you don't show up two hours late because you don't want them to have to you know pick up your slack when awesome. you yeah. treat your staff with respect you don't yell at them in front of customers because you understand that that that's going to impact the guest experience directly you know it just comes down to just treating everyone with respect Awesome stuff, man. Great advice. You've been great the first half of this interview. We're going to take a break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Looking to increase sales in your restaurant? There's only three ways to make that happen. Attract new customers, increase check averages, and increase the frequency your customers visit. RestaurantPromo.net gives you free case studies, strategies, and how-to guides to do all of the above. RestaurantPromo.net is your go-to place to get ahead in business and in life. Again, that's RestaurantPromo.net. Get on it. Two of the biggest lessons we've learned here at Restaurant Unstoppable is that you need to automate your business and you need to make decisions using data. Well, QSR Online can help you with that. 
from labor management to entering data to invoicing to inventory and food costing, QSR Online can help you get time back in your day so you can focus on what matters, like taking care of your guests, taking care of your employees, and finding opportunities to improve your business in other places. To learn more, head over to go.qsronline.com unstoppable. So we're back and... We're going to crush the second half of this interview, and you're just going to start by telling us what your advice is for funding a restaurant, getting that initial capital, or getting those those investors to invest in your vision, your, your mission. So what advice do you have for us? Um, you know, here, here's actually, here's the best advice I have to give to anybody. Every project you work on is a resume. Hmm. Everything that has your name attached to it is a resume. I, I see... So often in, in this industry and in a lot of industries where people feel like, oh, yeah, um, this next project I'm working on, oh, yeah, yeah, it's cool, but, you know, whatever. You should see the bar I'm going to do. The bar I do for myself is going to be amazing. And I have all these cool ideas that I'm saving for my spot. And so they're doing all these projects in the meantime, you know, and they're kind of half-assing it because they're assuming that once they do their own bar – it's going to – all these cool ideas that, that they've had are going to go into that. But what, what really happens is that people see them half-assing everything they do. Um, and then on the flip side, all these good ideas they have eventually years – as the years pass by, p- other people beat them to it. So all these cool ideas that they think they were hoarding onto their, for their own space just end up getting wasted. And all these projects they end up doing end up being kind of you know maybe a little bit better than mediocre. And their name be- – Gins to become associated with mediocrity, and guess what? Nobody totally. invests in them. Yeah, man, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, in this industry, I would even take it a step further. Like, or you know, I would agree with exactly what you said. Actually, everything you do in this industry, you're on a job interview. People are seeing you. You're on display for everyone to see, and you never know, especially as a bartender, who's on the other side of that bar. It could be your future investor. People come in, they see you. You have an opportunity to impress people with your hospitality, your work ethic. You never know who's watching. Every little thing you nope. do, like you yep. said, is a resume. I, it's it's so important because like you just never know where that yeah, next dollar might be. And then what ends up happening is they end up half-assing it, and, and nothing's ever remarkable. And people see that, and they're yeah. like, oh, "As soon as I get my investors, man, my place can be way better than this." But it's like, but is it? Is it going to be? Yeah, you know, the truth is there's there's tons of people that work in this industry, but a very small percentage of them are truly passionate about the work and really take it seriously. So if you are that person that decides not to settle with mediocrity, if you choose to take it to the next level and you really put 100%, 110% of yourself into it, it's so easy to stand out. So yeah. it's it's great advice, and uh, I'm happy that you shared that advice. Do you have any other advice? I mean, tell us what you did. How did you get recognized? How did you bring it to the next level? Because now you, you, you're partners in, in multiple locations. So, right? Like, how did you yeah. – was it just uh, being what exactly what you said to us? Yeah, I, I opened the bar, and I treated it like I owned it. Like when mm-hmm. I did Rick House, um, when I did a, a bar program in Sacramento, Lounge with 20 by before that, like I came in and it was just like I'm pulling out. I'm not pulling any punches. I'm going to do this as amazing and as cool as I can do it and, and just, you know, put my all into it. And the thing is, you know, when you start to do that, your staff start to do that. Mm. It, it becomes infectious where it's like, man, this guy was here, you know, 100 hours this week. He's been working on the menu and like they becoming more engaged and everybody starts putting 100 mm. percent and you end up with something phenomenal. And what I feel like what we create at Rick House, I mean, 
I know that those awards were were on my on my bio, but the thing is that wasn't just me. That was my entire staff. Yeah. That was the ownership behind us. And and I treated it like I owned it and now you do. You know, yeah. <laughs> and now yeah, now I own the part. Awesome so really, stuff, man. You have to go in with that mentality where like, okay, I have this cool idea, I'm gonna do it. And you have to fight for your ideas too, because um don't be afraid. I mean I remember going to these meetings at, you know at Rick House and some of the guys you know, some of the other guys and you know and the ownership were kind of they weren't really they couldn't really see the vision I had mm-hmm. and you know where they were fighting me fighting me on things that, that became integral parts of the program. And you have to be able to go to bat for it and be like, Hey guys, trust me, I think this is a really good idea. Let's do this. You know, um I mean and, and, take and that because, a step further, Eric. What did you do for them to get behind you and trust you? Was there anything or you know, is there something that you did oh, that was an different? Example. Um, some of the other guys weren't convinced about the viability of punch bowls. Okay. You know, and San Francisco kind of gets, or Rick House gets a lot of credit for kind of, you know, jumpstarting like the modern punch movement. And, and they kind of were like, oh, I don't know, man. Do we really want to do that? Do we really want to make punches? And I was just, and it was, you know, it was like four against one. I was like, hey guys, you got to trust me on this. Like, I think it could be done right. I know there's like, I've heard of some bars in London doing it and I, and, and it, it's a big crowd pleaser. Like, trust me guys, I, I'm going to order some punch bowls off, off eBay some vintage punch bowls. It's going to be cool. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to throw fruit on it with big block ice and it's going to look beautiful. And Guys, who else was doing that though in your area? Who else was doing that? No one. Exactly. No one. That's another huge thing from that lesson too is you can't just be like every other bar out there. You need some unique selling proposition. You need yeah, something that because- distinguishes you. Just because no one's doing it doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Really, the guys, after a couple of weeks of these, you know, hearing me yell about it, we're finally just, I think, tired of out. We're like, all right, cool, let's try it. Let's <laughs> see how it works. is key. Awesome stuff, man. I you love know? it. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I mean I'm all about teamwork and, like, everyone, you know, anyone who's earned a voice should have a voice to speak, you know. But every now and then, man, when, when if there's something you're really passionate about, man, you can't let it go. Mm. Awesome stuff, man. Great advice. Uh, any other advice on getting that initial capital to get started? Man, I'm telling you, just do do incredible product. Treat everything like your resume and eventually it'll come. Awesome. Good, good stuff, man. Awesome stuff. So uh, success obviously is so dependent in, on this industry or in this industry on people. So what's your advice on hiring, managing, and retaining good people? Oh, man, retaining good people is – um. I would just say, like, find out what your values are and what your core values are and, and live by them, man. And yeah. Managing creatives is so much different than, you know, just managing people out of McDonald's. So, you know, it's not just, like, direct control and command and control with your staff. It's, like, you need to have a viability that keeps you productive and healthy and creative. So I find treat my staff with respect. I treat them with respect. They treat me with respect. We treat our customers with respect. Everyone is, is treated with a sense of, of consideration, and you you create an atmosphere of empathy and trust where people actually care about what they do. They they care about the drinks they're serving, mm. and it, it's all top to bottom. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. Awesome. And uh, I did some research on you. I was trying to find things to talk about in today's episode. And uh, in a previous interview, somebody asked you what the one question is that you ask somebody when you're hiring them for your your bar. So do you remember the, the answer you had? The one question you ask. Here's one I always ask. I, I think it's probably this one. Um, if you could be doing anything, if you had to do anything else besides bartending, what would you do? That's the one. Yeah. And why do you ask that question? Because I want to see where their passion lies, mm. and and I want to see in, in what other format that that they would choose to express themselves. Because you can tell a lot by somebody 
you know, in, in regards to, to how they answer that question. And, I mean, what are you looking for? You say you want to see where their passion lies. Is it more that they're passionate about something? Are you, are you interested in what they're passionate about, or are you, are you interested in that they can be passionate? Like, what is I'm it? Interested that- in that they, I guess I'm looking for people who care about things mm. and who are interested and curious and, like, actually interested in, in the minutia and in, in the big picture as well. And you can actually get a lot of really cool answers from um, from people in regards to that. So, is it the reaction that you're looking for, like how excited they get, or you look? Is that what matters? Is yeah, it- I'm looking for some 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 type of passion, something that they're really looking for, engaged about in life. That's awesome. Like because I, it's like you're either passionate or you're not, and, and I can't really ignite that in anybody. And when you ask those questions, have you ever had somebody who maybe mentioned something that they're passionate about that was something that you could use or leverage in your bar or in your restaurant that you would have never known if you didn't ask the question? Um, I mean, I remember one time I asked someone the question. He was just like, oh, I would be like a tour guide on like foreign travels. So then I asked him, uh, you know, why would you want to be, you know, a, a tour guide? And he was just like, well, I would really just like the opportunity to engage with people, people I've never met before and mm-hmm. kind of show them new things and introduce them to the things that kind of piqued your curiosity and add a little brightness to their life. <laughs> What's and, that sound like? <laughs> and I was just like, okay, perfect. I have a feeling you're going to love making cocktails. Yeah, that's awesome. You know? it, it, that's exactly what bartending is. You know, and I mean, also it's, it's sometimes just the mindset. Like he may have yeah. never even took that angle where, holy crap, this is an opportunity to do exactly that—to teach people about the drinks that they're making, to meet new people every day. Like, there's so much depth there. There's so much opportunity to do what it is that he's passionate about behind a bar so that must have been really exciting for you yeah it was really cool and um he was a wonderful employee um he actually ended up um having to actually left a, uh, a lot of traveling but he's ended up coming back since and, and kind of working shifts whenever he can That's great awesome. guy it turned into a wonderful asset awesome so what are some of the challenges you're currently facing right now in the industry that really has your attention that you see coming down the barrel and like maybe some of the things you're doing to prepare for that challenge you know, I think uh, one thing that's kind of uh, become more of an issue recently is I feel like the craft cocktail world and craft cocktail bars in particular, it's become a bit of an arms race um, where people are starting to engage in, like, I don't want to say mutual destruction, but they're engaging in activities that aren't necessarily profitable. Or, give me an or, example. Oh, man, I, I came in. I, I came in. You know, for instance, I mean, I can think of some bars recently that opened that, like, don't make any money. Mm. And I mean, I wouldn't even know if I'd classify them as viable businesses because um, they barely pay their bills. But, but you know, they get all kinds of press because of, you know, they're, they're like pushing the envelope with creativity and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that if, if, you're, if you're born wealthy and you have more money than you know what to do with, that by all means, knock yourself out. It's a free country. Though I feel like that type of business is kind of, um, is not responsible to your staff because you're, you're constantly in a situation where if you don't have the operating capital and an emergency happens, you're going to you're gonna have to close the place down. Mm. You know? So, I mean, point. if you're independently wealthy, you can do it. Though I don't think that's necessarily a smart business plan. So you're saying the challenge you see is people just getting way too crazy, way too creative, and really pushing in that envelope. And, uh, I mean, there's no profit there, but how else is that hurting the industry? Well, I feel like sometimes people are um, – other places feel that they need to compete with these places. Yeah. You know? Where, I mean, I, I can think of a, of a few spots off the top of my head. I won't name them, you know? But 
they're they're actually the bars aren't necessarily even businesses. They're actually just business cards for their consulting. So what ends up happening is you end up having I, I that's really scary to me and dangerous to me in a lot of ways. Because oh, don't get me wrong, I mean I'm all about you know pushing creativity. I mean we do you know draft cocktails, barrel aged cocktails, all that stuff. You know, um, and, and it's important to do that. I think to, to push the industry forward. But at the same time, I would never want to set an example for my staff that that's how you should run a business because I'm afraid that would be set a bad example and put them in a situation where for they could be very very bad off financially. So what I'm hearing is that people are creating these businesses to really be self-serving, self-promoting, and it's really um, yeah. not good for the industry. It's not promoting your people. It's it's kind of... Um, they're, they're vanity projects. Yeah, I don't know. Totally, that makes total sense. They're no. vanity projects for, for, wealthy, for wealthy people. Mm. Um, and... You know, at the end of the day, and I think you say it best, uh, this industry is 5% the cocktail and 95% hospitality. And that does at the core of what I'm hearing behind these, these bars, these business models, hospitality is not there. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I mean, those projects seem really fun. And if some, you know, multi-billionaire asked me to open one for him, I would probably do it just because it's (laughs) kind of cool to do one without the constraints. Yeah. Um, but God, I'm not putting my own money in one and I would never put the, the, put the money or the welfare of my staff in one of those places. Yeah. No, totally, and I can't help but think of Danny Meyer's words in uh, you know setting the table enlightened to hospitality, where it's not just hospitality to your guests, but it's hospitality into everything your your business touches, whether it's your purveyors, your employees, your investors, like everyone your business touches has to be hospitable. Yeah, um, I mean, and- I, my staff, like when it's when it's hot, and anyone who comes by to make a delivery for us, like you offer them a glass of water. Mm-hmm. You offer him something to drink, you know. If some guy comes and delivers all your booze, you know he makes the liquor shipments and stuff. You better ask him. You, you better offer him a glass of ice water or let him use the bathroom, or whatever. Because to me, it's like hospitality doesn't just stop with our guests. It stops with it starts, and it applies to every single person that walks through our door. Absolutely, yeah, totally good stuff, man. Great. Uh, so let's talk about work life balance. And during my introduction, like you're busy, dude. <laughs> You've accomplished a lot. You've got a lot going on. How do you balance work and life? How do you stay sane? How do you make time for those people in your life that you love? Oh, man, I don't know if I do. Um, but, no, I, I like to joke about it. But really what it comes down to is it comes down to making sure you you make time and you prioritize what's important to you. Um, my wife is extremely important to me, and I couldn't do any of this stuff without her um, mm-hmm. in more ways than one. Um so knowing that she's in, she's the you know most important thing in my life really. So I make sure I prioritize her and, and, and we spend time together and nothing else is going to take priority over that. Like I don't care. Like you have to say no to projects. You know some people are going to ask you to do things and guess what? You just don't have time to do that. Mm. And I feel like it's only really been recently that I've been able to say no to projects that sound fun. Like someone asked me to do something and it sounds like a lot of fun and it pays well, but I'm like, I, I just don't have the time. I can't do it. Mm. And I'm not doing anyone. I'm not doing anyone a service by, by saying yes. You know, especially like, you know, my family, I need to make sure I'm looking forward and I'm investing time and, and energy into, into my relationships, my personal relationships. Absolutely. I mean, do you have any like bottom lines or like any like rules you live by, like, like, that you can share with us to help us with saying no or prioritizing like any tricks that you implement? Um, here, here's something that's important. Don't have too many, don't have too many passion projects mm. 
And by that, I mean, I, I've gotten myself in trouble with this in regards to like, it's important, you know, I mean, I actually, I like to think of all my, all my projects as passion projects, really, because mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I love them. I, you know, I love working in the bars and stuff, but you need to be able to say no. It's like someone else's passion project and someone asked me to, you know, to take on a very cumbersome and, and, um, time consuming project that's, that doesn't pay is a, is a red flag where someone's like, Oh, but I'm working on this and it's a project that I really care about. And you're like, yo, um, I'm happy to help out. You know, what, what are, what are the time commitments? And they tell you, Oh, it's like, you know, six months, you know, 15 hours a week. I'm like, I, I can't do that. Mm. I want to help you out. I'll come, I'll help you fundraise. I'll do whatever you need, but I cannot commit to like, you know, enough to a part-time job. Yeah, and really what it comes down to, I think, at the end of the day, is just focus. Focusing on what matters, what's going to get you ahead, what's going to help the people that, you know, your businesses, they affect so many people. You have to take care of what matters first. If you spread yourself too thin, I mean, it's kind of like when you're on a plane and they say, you know, take care of yourself first. Like, if Yeah, no one's going to win. Yeah, like, (laughs) what's that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, no one one wins because um, you're spreading yourself too thin. Exactly. like that extra 15 hours a week, I could spend that at my bar. I could spend that working with my staff. I could spend that, you know, going to dinner with my wife. This is time that's valuable. And like, no matter what happens, you only, no matter how rich you are, you only have 24 hours a day. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's and that, you're not working around that. Exactly. And like, like I was going to say, like on a plane, like you have to, if the oxygen goes out, you have to put that mask on yourself first and then help other people. Because if you don't help yourself first... You're not going to be any good to anybody, so great yeah. stuff. Um, so let's talk about some re- recommended books or resources. I mean, you s- clearly sound like a well-read individual. You've already uh, referenced a few great books, uh, Good to Great, which is an awesome book. What are some other must-read books for some of the people getting started in this industry that will really just give them the right tools to be successful? Like a, a book a book that is like a Bible to me, um, and, and God, I, I can't get enough of this book. I'm fascinated by it, is Creativity, Inc. by Ed Catmull. That's the first time I mentioned. You said Creativity Inc. Yeah, he's uh, one of the founders of Pixar, and now he's like you know um, really high over at Disney Disney Animation. Um, Ed Catmull, the guy is absolutely brilliant. He the his book is written is one of the most engaging and intelligent books I've maybe read in the last five years. And so, I read quite a bit. So what's the book about? I mean, what's at the core of that book? What's the point that he's trying to make in that book? Uh, the, the reason why the book is so fascinating because the book is about managing creatives. Where I feel like so many of the books out there are, are essentially about how to manage and how to, you know, run effective workplace. But this guy's like, hey, man, I have, I have a, 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 I'm running a studio with, that's filled with artists and writers and designers and computer programmers and what have you. And there, you, there has to be a way to to understand why we've had successes and how to kind of um, continue to propagate those successes. And that's what they do at Pixar. Mm. The, awesome. the book is absolutely phenomenal. The guy is, is insanely smart. And, and it just basically comes down to really just like treat your people with respect, make sure they have a work-life balance, you know, demand the best, but at the same time create an infrastructure where people can succeed. Awesome. Great stuff. Yeah, and I just checked out that book. It's on Audible, too, so you can get this book for free, guys. 
uh, today because I partner up with Audible. Head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. Uh, get a free version of this book uh, to try that out. And uh, the next question I have for you is on the topic of uh, technology or tools and services you're leveraging in your restaurants uh, that have helped you be more productive, more efficient, or maybe there's like an app in your everyday life to help you communicate and stay on top of all the things you got going on. So let's talk about some of those tools. Dude, okay, here's an app right here that, that I absolutely love, and I will never do another bar or restaurant without this program. It's called See To It. Ooh. It's, it's weird. I don't know why it's not more popular, but, but it, it's, it's an it's a amazing program. So what does it do? Talk to us about it. it it's essentially it's an interface that allows you to get better information out of your you know, Aloha, Breadcrumb, or whatever POS that you're using in your restaurant mm-hmm. or bar. It extrapolates information from you um, from these programs because it plugs plugs into the POS, and uh, it's an amazing way to keep track of records, employee records, data, manager notes, everything. And, and you know, it tracks sales, same day last year, all that stuff. And it has so much information. I think I'm only probably you know scraping the tip of yeah. the iceberg in regards to information, but it's just such an amazing program. And I, I, I can't stop raving about it. Yeah, there's some incredible tools out there right now that just allow you to use data to make better decisions. Mm-hmm. Give me an example of a time you, you, you use information from C2It to better serve a guest or to make a better business decision. Oh, so, I mean, j- just in terms of whenever we're doing menus, um, you know, we, we can run PMixes on menus. Um, we can pull up manager um, manager files. Um, tracking employee employee progress, it's a, it's a wonderful tool. Like, for instance, we can actually go back and just – Type in this person's name, and every note that they've ever showed up in will will, will come up, which is great because it, you can track um, progress. You can track progress of like you know newer bartenders and stuff. For instance, we have this guy Lowell. Um, guy's incredible. He's been with us almost since opening, but he's only been bartending for about a year. But he's great. Makes incredible drinks. Quirky guy. Really good with guests. And we can track his progress and how he's been getting behind the bar. We're like, okay, um, back in July, he was he was doing really well. His ticket times were good, but you know his multitasking wasn't where it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we talked to him about it, and then I see that from the notes in, in November that he was actually doing really great with the multitasking. Then you know we would just need to work with them on you know on his upsells, and you know what I mean. It allows you to tr- keep track of everybody in a way that everyone has access to, and it just keeps it more productive and kind of more on the level. And it sounds like you're not only getting getting great data with this tool, but you're also really improving communication because. They are, not, I haven't used it personally, but it sounds like there's a, a log in there someplace where you're doing oh, yeah. your notes and something. There's multiple logs. And, and the thing is that, that, that's important is that, um, you know, I, so many people I think they, they talk about, oh, I have all this data, I have all this data. But to me it's more important, like, what are you doing this with this data mm. and translating it into real life? Are you having conversations? Mm-hmm. Because the data is never going to be a substitute for actually just sitting down, pulling up two chairs and having a conversation. And I feel like – by utilizing this, it allows us to get better data so it improves the quality of our conversations. Absolutely. Awesome stuff. So um, if there is like <clears throat> one piece of knowledge or like advice you could share with us, like say if you could go back in time, it's 2000, I don't know, six, and you're managing this bowling alley. If you could run into a past version of yourself and give yourself one piece of business, business advice, what would it be? Uh, be humble. You're always learning. Mm. No one has all the answers. If anything, I'm actually skeptical of people who have all the answers. They kind of worry me. Mm-hmm. Because people who have all the answers, 
it, it, it worries me because they make up their mind first. It's, they, they, they go into it rigid. And when, when they're wrong or when things don't play out exactly how they wanted them to, they're sometimes taken by surprise and, like, ineffective at coming back. Awesome stuff. Um, and what is one question, Eric, I could have asked you that you think would have brought more value to this interview? Mm. What's your favorite cocktail right now? My favorite cocktail right now? Man, I'm simple. I like a good bourbon on the rocks, man. <laughs> I can't blame you for that, man. I can't blame you for that. <laughs> Sorry, I don't get to... Uh... Oh, you weren't asking me. I'm an idiot. Um, what's your favorite cocktail right now? I'm going to edit that part out. Let me start over here. <laughs> yeah, no worries. I'm such a dumbass. Uh, what's your favorite cocktail right now? Oh, something I've been drinking a lot of lately. Um, I've been drinking a lot of Boulevardiers. Okay. <laughs> Tell me why is that your favorite cocktail? And, I don't know. It's just, right right now, it's all I've been drinking. They're pretty much, it's just a, a Negroni, but with bourbon instead of gin. And to me, there's just something about it. It's like, you know, I'm having my bourbon, you know, but to, to kind of spice it up a little bit, you throw in some Campari and some sweet vermouth, man, you're in a good place. Awesome stuff, man. I'll have to get one of those the next time I go out. So you've been awesome. Uh, I wrap up every interview by having you call somebody out. That's how I found you. Uh, Russell Davis calls you out. He told me you'd be a great guest on the show, and you were, man. I'm happy I called you out. So who's one person you think would be a great guest mentor on the show like you have been for us today? Um, I'm actually going to call out, too, because these guys are doing some really cool stuff out in L.A., and, and, and more people need to know about what they're cooking up. Uh, Jason Brand. And Joe Brooke. All right. Tell me a little bit about those two guys. Two of my favorite bartenders out in L.A. They're doing really cool stuff. They're working on some cool projects together. Um, Jason Brand helped um, do this, like, amazing nightclub up in L.A. that had craft cocktails for, like, large scale, which is kind of mind-blowing what they were doing there. And he was also at at Roger Room for years and um, opening crew there. Um, Joseph Brooke ran the bar program at the Edison. He's been kind of all over town consulting, doing some really cool stuff, working with Salvatore Calbresi. And now he's with the 86 Spirits Company. And these two dudes are together, the Mixology guys, and they're, they're doing some really cool videos online that people need to check out. Awesome. Jason and Joe, look out, guys. I'm coming after you. And Eric, if you could help me connect with them, that would be awesome. So that's it. I mean, we are just going to give you an opportunity now to um, let the folks at home know how to connect with you. If you have any other projects, which I know you do have some other projects going on, so why don't you tell us about that and then tell us how we can connect, and we'll wrap it up. Oh, I'm working on this documentary and online series that just rolled out about a month ago, and it's called uh, Bartender at Large. Go to bartenderatlarge.com, and you can kind of watch the um, the online series, and it's pretty much just me doing roundtables with um, some of the, the world's best bartenders. Awesome. The way we like to refer to it is it, it's kind of like Sports Center, but for the bartending world. That's awesome, man. I'm going to have to definitely check that out myself. I have looked at it. it it's Pretty interesting stuff you're doing, and I'll have the links in the show notes for you folks at home. And uh, how can we connect if we want to talk further, or maybe if we have further questions about what you've recommended for us today? Oh, um, hit me up on Twitter. I'm a hungry bartender. All right, I'll have those links in the show notes. Eric, man, you have been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest mentor. There's no questioning. You are unstoppable. Oh, right on, bro. Thanks for having me, man. Cheers. It's been my pleasure. Another episode locked away in the archives here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to Eric Castro. Uh, seriously, man, thank you so much for joining me, taking the time out of your super busy schedule to contribute to this melting pot of mentors. And you had such incredible advice today. 
the two big pieces of advice that really stuck out to me uh, was one, treat every day like you're on a resume. You never know who's watching, where there's an opportunity, and like treat it like your own, like he says. And I think that's just such important advice because we kind of, you know, we show up sometimes, we get into like the, the routine and we just don't really push ourselves to be better, you know, to be a better version of we were the day before. And if you're just always focusing on just being that better version of yourself than you were the day before, uh, and you make your, you know, a competition, you make it a competition with yourself and not other people, you're going to be your, your own, you know, your own competition, but I doubt many people out there are doing it. So you're just going to like get so far ahead and just be so much better than anyone that's around you. Uh, such great advice. And, uh, and the other thing that stood out to me was uh, a really quick comment that he made that, you know, his craft making cocktails is just 5% of what he does. The other 95% is mostly, hospitality and being good to others and at the core of what we do whether you're front of house back of house everything in this industry what what really separates the the good from the great is that understanding of hospitality and yeah if you're in this industry i hope you can make a good drink or i hope you can cook or i hope you know how to serve a table but really at the core of what it is that's going to really separate you from the good and the to the great is giving a crap and really caring about the people you're serving and the people that surround you. And that, my friends, is hospitality. And uh, please don't forget to go check out Bartender at Large. I'll have the links in the show notes, his website there. You can find it on iTunes and on YouTube. And it kind of seems like he's doing a very similar thing to what to what I'm doing. Uh, but he's really niched down to the uh, bartenders and mixologists out there in the world. So uh, if you're a bartender or you're a mixologist, do check out Bartender at Large. Again, links will be in the show notes. This is episode 208. So head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 208 for links to everything we discussed, the books you recommended, the topics, summaries of the topics we discussed, all right there. And then lastly, please support Restaurant Unstoppable. You do that by spreading the word, sharing this resource, this free resource with people who are aspiring to be great in this industry. It's invaluable. So just do your friends and your colleagues a favor and share this resource. Uh, Use my links. Every time a product or service is mentioned on the show that's affiliated with me, uh, I will get a kickback at no extra expense to you. It's simply those companies' ways of saying, hey, Eric, thanks for sparing the word. And it's not my advice. It's the advice from these incredible mentors who are using these tools and services who are saying, hey, I'm using this. I'm loving it. Uh, Now you can use it too. Use my links. That supports the show. No extra expense to you. And then lastly, five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio go so long and so far with just helping the show uh, get credibility. Uh, Those reviews, uh, tell us what you think. That really helps. And then email me, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Let me know how I can help you. Let me know what topics you want discussed, what experts you want on the show, what mentors you want on the show, who's in your community, who do you think would be a great guest on the show, somebody I can invite to be a guest mentor. I'll get them on the show for you. We'll get their story, their advice, their recommendations. All right, guys, that's all I have today. Thank you so much for sticking through this long. Until next time, peace out. 